0: You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world, not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. My guest this week is Monique Melton. Monique is a relationship coach, she's an author, a speaker, she's an encourager. She is One of the most amazing women I have honestly ever had the honor of speaking with. I loved our conversation. We talked about everything from what it looks like to really truly follow God's calling on our life to what it looks like to uncover those things in our lives that we might be ashamed of and how we can work through those things and how those things can affect our businesses and our relationships with others. And we really just started getting deep and into the nitty gritty and even started talking about things like race relations and race reconciliation. There may even be parts of today's episode where you feel a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. In fact, that's good. I think embracing those moments of having real, meaningful conversations can really impact and move us forward. Those are the types of things that inspire change. You are going to love today's episode. It absolutely left me wrecked in so many ways, in so many good ways, good, good, good ways, and I just, I honestly could have talked to Monique all day long forever in fact after we we re- we stopped recording we ended up talking like 30 to 45 more minutes I adore her I know you're gonna love this episode and I hope you are inspired by my conversation with Monique hey Monique welcome to the show hey thank you for having me I am so excited to have you on this show for so many reasons um, but I have <laughs> I have followed you on social media for quite some time and I know that you are the type of person who you love to just keep it real talk about things that um, that people should be talking about and I love your passion I love your uh, heart for the Lord uh, I just I love so much about you um, and I cannot wait wait for the listeners of this podcast to get to know you and hear your story and all that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> you, I'm over here smiling and shaking my head like like you can see me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I do the yeah. same. I do the same thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm such a like hand movement type talker and all that. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited um, to be here. So thank you so oh, much. Oh,
0: absolutely. So before we get into all of the amazing things that you do, I'm going to have you do what I have all my guests do, and that's give us the Monique 101. So tell us your story. Tell us your your life story, if you will. You can go back as far as you want, or you can start more in the present. Um, but basically just kind of sharing uh, you know, your your story of how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Well, I, let's see, well, we won't start where I like I was born on a warm summer day or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, It was actually the spring, but I, uh, I'm a wife. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. He's my first like real boyfriend. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah. I don't have like start stories of like heartbreak and all that kind of stuff. Like he's it. And he's awesome. I have two kids. Um, and I am, um, also a relationship coach, author, and speaker. Before I was a relationship coach, I did makeup for about ten years. Oh, awesome! And I did a lot of cool things in that field while also, like, simultaneously working in the mental health field because my education background is in mental health. Oh, yeah. And after having my daughter, who is the youngest, I well, with both my children, I had postpartum mood disorder, which completely like caught me by surprise, at Mm -hmm. least for the first one. The second one is, it's almost like once you have it, you can pretty much, um, anticipate having experiencing it again. But I had her and I took a break and I said, you know what, let's just take some time off. Um, I produced a couple bridal shows. Um, and so I took some time off and during that time off, which is something about just getting quiet and, um, taking off the demands and the deadlines and the pressures and the expectations and just really just opening up yourself to hear from God and to um, just be, be be still. And that's what I did. And during that time, um, it became clear to me that I wanted to start a new business and I wanted it to be very purposeful. Not that the work that I was doing prior to wasn't because it, and when I look back on it, it all has connected to the next. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be um, involved in supporting women and building their businesses and building their dreams and pursuing what they believe God is calling for them to do. And so I did that as a brand strategist. So a lot of people know me from that side of the world because I did that for about two years. And my first book is very much a business book about building business relationships. And so if you read that book, you'll hear, you know, my see my intro about being a brand strategist. And now I um, but during that time as a brand strategist what I found is working with so many of my clients one on one oftentimes what I loved and what really sparked the fire for me was when we would have the personal development conversations yeah. and we didn't call we didn't call them now today we'll do personal development yeah. but it just came, you know it just came up very naturally because you know, as you know, and as many of the listeners know, you know, building a business is very much intertwined with your mindset and yes. your family and your values and your heart, and your all those things. And so those things would naturally come up. And that's where I found that I loved working with them the most. And I also saw for them, they received a lot of breakthroughs and just clarity and just, it was just amazing. So I said, okay, again, just got quiet again and spent some time in prayer and I worked with a coach and it it just made sense that I would work in the work a little more directly in that world as a relationship coach. Yeah. Not so much, um, life coaching, like just only wanting to focus on like you and your life, but more so your relationship in particular, your relationship with your, your spouse. Mm -hmm. And I think that building a business can be very um, stressful and it can have a lot of strain on your relationships, especially your marriage. Yeah. And so as a relationship coach, my goal is to support women in doing what they're called to do. So we still will touch on a little bit of that purpose work, but not so much marketing strategy, brand strategy, but a little bit more around like planning for your vision and steps and making sure that you're clear and your focus and all that, but more so around making sure that you are being the wife that you are called to be, making sure that you're building the foundation and nurturing your relationship and your marriage the best to your ability. And so yeah. that's, that's where I am now. And, um, I'm, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in that place. Um, but I will, I'll tell you, it's, it's like, it's an ever changing, like evolving process. As long as you're open to, to God and where he's calling you, you might find yourself in a completely different place than what you thought you would be, you know, five years before. So long one oh one that was a long one oh one. on one I love uh, I it. Tell you more, but that's pretty much like where we are now. I love it. And so
0: how long have you been doing, um, relationship coaching
1: I just transitioned to that, um, uh, do, 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 this year, this year, I just transitioned. So what is this? 2017 <laughs> over the summer of 2016. Yeah. Is when I noticed the shifting happening and I began contemplating it, but I didn't it on paper and start saying it until the beginning of this year.
0: I love it. I think it's amazing. And it's so like you said earlier, how you, you know, when you were when you were doing makeup and, you know, you were a brand strategist and just how you've you've seen how all these different things and even your background in mental health, how all those things sort of were sort of like the setup for where you are today, because without that background and without that history and without those experiences, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have the knowledge that you need to be able to successfully, you know, talk to somebody else in when they're, you know, whatever position they're in.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I like to say that, you know, as a makeup artist, my goal was to help bring out the best and whoever was sitting in my chair, and it was a very much a therapeutic. Place too, because I was so close to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, just in proximity. But it was so it was very much a you know, bringing out the best in them from an outward perspective, where it's now my focus is bringing out the best of you from an inward perspective. So it's still about bringing out the best in people seeing the good in people and helping people to see the good of themselves and yeah. in others. But it's just in a different way.
0: Yeah, I want to back up just a little bit because you had talked you Briefly mentioned um, your book, and it was uh, entrepreneur friendships, which I love. The I I love that title, and I'm sure you hear that all the time of people being (laughs) like, "That is such a great book title." Um, But talk a little bit about that and how, because I think in a lot of ways, you know, how even that book was written before the season of that you're in now. Exactly. Yet it is so relevant to what you're doing now for a living. Um, Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about that? What's that book about, and kind of how almost that applies to what you're doing now?
1: Sure. So when I back in the beginning, when I decided that I wanted to be a brand strategist, and I was doing a lot of research, I just I was like, okay, what type of marketing strategy am I going to hang my hat on in terms of like, as an expert, and really focus on learning and mastering in that and it made so much sense to do relationship, Mm -hmm. because that's what I believe, you know, life is all about. And so that was the strategy that, when I was working with my clients in brand development, once we got to that place in our in our process, we would really hone in on that particular strategy. And so I created a workbook, like a guide to help them, once we had finished our service together, to keep up with that. And that was what was really like the beginning of this actual book, Entrepreneur Friendships. And so I wrote that guide and I had, had prepared to give it to a client and I did a training for that client. And she said, you know, this is so amazing. Everyone needs this. And I sat, I sat at home to like spruce it up. And next thing you know, I'm like, this needs to be a book. Everyone needs to know how to do this. Everyone talks Mm -hmm. about networking and how important it is to network and build relationships, but no one really tells you how to do it. And especially Mm -hmm. for someone who maybe is new to an area or new to online business, or maybe an introvert or somebody like me who hates small talk like Mm -hmm. I dread small talk (laughs) me too Terrible, Ugh, awful. Like <laughs> I cannot stand it. It's worse than like the, the chalkboard scratch. But um, you know, so like, how do you get to these meaningful conversations? How do you build these relationships with complete strangers without yeah. you know feeling like you go in with an agenda? And that's what the book is about. The book is also very much sneaky Jesus because the cover.
0: <laughs> you lo- know, that
1: should have been the title of it. <laughs> yeah, or it maybe that's exactly. maybe that's your next it's, book is Sneaky <laughs> Jesus. That's what it needs to be. I, I heard a, Friend used that phrase and it made so much sense and I can't even remember who it was. But, it. Um, but the even like the cover of the book is it. Well, we couldn't find a three braided, um, three braided or three strand cord, mm-hmm. um, braided cord. We couldn't find a copy of that. So it's two strand um, braided cord. But that's that's scripture. It talks about, you know, um, in in friendships and you can't you know, basically you can't fall when you have when you're together, and and the more the better. And so that even the cover is that the principle of the book is support and serve. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what Jesus came to do. So it was it was very much um, taking what Jesus came to do um, and how he approached serving and supporting others. And just making it, um, spinning it a little bit to how to do it from a business perspective without telling people that that's what it was about. Um, so, yeah, that's what the book is. is a step by step process. It's, a, it's very much a pull out your highlighter, pull out your ink pen, because every every all the feedback I've gotten from the book is you want to have it with you. You want to take notes. You want to mm-hmm. dive into it because I give you really specific examples and things to say and how to get out of a conversation that you don't want to be in and (laughs) you're like you feel cornered in a room you know like I yeah we talk about all these kind of scenarios um and that's the book but the book really came from just wanting to help people um build focus on relationships and it's funny because I I love relationships I think relationships are amazing I think sometimes people get the, the perception that because I'm a relationship coach or even before that oh, I must have all these perfect relationships in my life. And it's like, uh, hello. No, (laughs) people are people like people are still going to have their problems. People are, I can't, I can't make people do anything just because I care about relationships. And I think that that's something that people need to understand that like you can focus on building relationships while also understanding that you're still going to get hurt. You're still going to hurt people. You're still going to maybe lose a friend or lose a connection because that's still a part of life But we don't want to give up on relationships because of those risks that come along with it. Right. So that's, so yeah, but that's what the book is about. It's a really easy read. You can read it on a, you know, a plane ride or in the car or whatever. Not while you're driving. Don't read it while you're
0: driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not read and drive. Let's not like go backwards. Like but this is what people did before <laughs> texting and driving is they, they read
1: Yeah, I know. Oh my goodness. There was a lady <laughs> texting and driving on the road and I wanted to blow my horn and then I was like, Well she'll get distracted and crash, so don't do that. But <laughs> I don't want her to crash now. Oh, oh my, my goodness.
0: goodness. Uh yeah and I mean and, and like like you said, like so much so many of those principles apply to What you're doing today and how that really, you know, how friendships and strong relationships with with obviously peers and colleagues and and your spouse, how that can really affect your business.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh
0: I love that you said you hate small talk because I also am one of those people who hate small talk and people always think I'm an extrovert and I'm actually, I'm one of those, the introverted extroverts. And yes. so, because, because I like to talk to people, I can talk to people. I like public speaking. You know, I did comedy for years. So people think like, oh yeah, you must love small talk. You must love. And I'm like, no. Oh gosh. I dread it.
1: I'd rather drink pep mobismo. It's just. <laughs> It's just so bad. It's so bad. I was at the dentist today and I'm and I'm like, oh man, they're gonna come in, they're gonna ask me, like, oh, so what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> oh I just I was just sitting there like, Oh, I don't wanna do this. <laughs>
0: I know. Well, it's so funny because I you know, when I'm ever in like networking situations and I find myself in those scenarios and I and I come into contact with somebody who clearly just wants to small talk, I like to throw them off and I like to start asking really deep questions. Um, Yeah. But that's my nature and that's, I mean, part of why I love hosting a podcast is because I feel like you really get to know somebody when you start to ask tough questions and when you Absolutely. when you develop a relationship of, you know, I think about some of my closest friends and those are the type of people that the reason, <laughs> a big part of the reason that we're friends is we have an understanding of like this is a safe space mm-hmm. and I'm a safe person. We can talk about things that might be difficult to talk about. We're We're, we're going to avoid the surface stuff and like let's really – dive deep and get to know each other on a, not a molecular level. That's not right, but you know what I mean? Like just I know what
1: you're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, what is, you know, is that sort of a big part of what you do is, is getting people to look past the small talk stuff and get to really get to know people on a deeper level.
1: Absolutely. When I worked with clients in brand development, um, I cannot think of a client who has not cried Mm -hmm. during at least one session. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's been times where it's multiple sessions and one client told me, she's like, you ask such hard questions. You ask these questions that I never even think about. And, and it is something that I have learned is a gift of mine to create a safe place for people Mm -hmm. because People will come up to me to, in the grocery store, and I'm I could just be looking for cabbage, and next thing you know, someone <laughs> is telling me, you know, like I'm just trying to buy cabbage, and next. Thing, <laughs> yes. I love it, but but it. I cannot tell you. I mean, in college, I was the dorm room where the girls would come and talk about their issues. I'm the one who people call in the middle of the night, you know, like I've always just been the safe place for Mm -hmm. people. And I think a lot of it has to do do with the fact that I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to mold or shape you into what I think you should be. If anything, I want you to understand who you are and to embrace that and to want that to be better and better and better, you know, but I think that's a that's a huge part of it. I'm I'm just a very safe, um, personality, I guess. And then when I ask those questions, I also allow them to process it, but I encourage them to not judge where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, there's times where you might identify something, which this is a part of the, my second book that I'm working on right now, which is very much a personal development type book, Yeah. but it's a lot of hard questions. they are questions that had me in tears because I said, I would not write a book that I wouldn't answer every single question that I'm asking my yeah. my, my readers to ask yeah. um, and answer. So, um, but when I ask these questions, I find that people want to judge their response or they might say things like, Oh, I know that's stupid to think like that. Or I know, I know I'm dumb to be feeling that way. Or like they're immediately judging and demeaning, um, th- and th- themselves. And it's very, like, I had a client the other day who called herself stupid. And I said, Hey, we don't call names here. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just allowing, allowing people to also reminding and encouraging people to also be, to be good to themselves in the process of growth because growth is painful. You're going to come across some things. It's just like cleaning your house and you move the couch and you're like, Oh man, like how did yeah. that get back there? Yeah. You know? And <laughs> you're like, let me just go ahead and clean it up. But do you, or do you t- say to yourself, I'm such a terrible person for having all this dust back here. Who's going to love me now? I can't even keep like, yes, there are people who will attack themselves or just go get a mop, clean it up and move on. Yeah, And so it's, It's the same of like doing that inner work when you uncover the dust behind the broken places of your heart, the places where maybe you thought you had dealt with or that had you know grown and and moved on, but oh my goodness, there's still pain there. Don't judge it. Just identify it and then embrace the healing that will come when you go grab the mop and clean it up. You know, so that's, that's really important. That's really important.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. There's so much yes because this is something that I have... You know, it's funny how a lot of this actually has... I've learned... I've become a very self aware person and I've always been pretty self aware, but I think the older I get and motherhood has made me Uh, extremely self aware. Um, And I I related so much to what you said earlier when I mean, I had postpartum depression after my Mm. um, and postpartum anxiety after I had my son. Um, I did not have it after I had my daughter. And it was the first time in my life after I had my son where I had not realized something about myself until. I kind of came to terms with it because I, I knew something was off. I knew something was wrong. I knew I was crying for no reason. I knew I was yeah. upset all the time for no reason. But I it was the first time in my life where I was not self-aware. And I mm. I remember... I sat down on the couch with my husband and I said, "I think I have postpartum depression." He said, "I know," and I was like, "Wait, you know?" Like, and wow. I remember, I remember getting a little mad at him. And he was like, "Well, I mean, it, not his fault by any means, because it was an uncharted territory for him too." But from that moment and from that point, we have both made it. You know, one of I'm kind of going around about here, but one of my husband and I is like. We feel is a very strong part of our marriage Is our communication We communicate really really well And yeah. um, and we know that about each other We There's literally no secrets I mean we just right. And we, communi- we over communicate in a lot of ways But yeah. I don't think that that's really yeah. possible But right. he's, it's funny Since that moment we He has started to really Kind of affirm things over me That I've kind of thought In the back of my mind But never had anybody say If that makes sense, Um, certain personality traits and certain, um, you know, just characteristics about myself that he has started to say out loud and say, I really love this about you or I really respect this about you or I see how you do this really well. And it's something I almost have felt over the years insecure about or am I actually good at this? And to hear him kind of genuinely say those things and affirm those things has been really helpful for me in continuing that growth of self-awareness if that makes right. sense right and it's been interesting because you know in the last year or so I've been able to sort of work through a lot of things from my past like you were saying where you sort of you 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 move the couch and you're like Ugh. like I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't realize that was there and then when you just instead of just putting the couch back and you know ignoring the fact that, you know, the dust is there right. by moving the couch and just saying, all right, you know what? We're going to just work through this. We're going to clean this right. dust. We're going to get it over with, and we're going to do a better job of cleaning
1: the dust out regularly so it doesn't build up like that again. Exactly. And if you think about it, to move a couch takes intentional energy mm-hmm. and strength. And if it's a really heavy couch, you might need some help. You might need to two do pe- it. I was just going to say that. You're going to need two people. <laughs> You might need two people. And that's how that's why therapy or working with a coach Mm -hmm. and all of that um, is so helpful because they can help you uncover what's hiding behind the couch and can help you figure out, Okay, what's the best way to go about cleaning this up? Let's not put the couch back. Let's not pretend that we didn't see what was behind there. Let's Mm -hmm. do this. But it takes time and energy. And I think what happens it's because we we can get so exhausted in the time and energy that it takes to move it to to get to it, and we get caught up in the discomfort that comes with that movement. That the idea of even doing anything after that is it's so overwhelming that just forget it, yep. just leave the couch there. I'm yep. out you know, out people would rather move out of the house without even before addressing it because it's so uncomfortable. And so yep. you have people who have suppressed um, I've worked with clients who have, um, experienced, unfortunately, like the trauma of sexual abuse. Yeah, And that's not something that I am an expert in terms of helping them navigate that. So I always recommend whenever I get, we ever get to a place where it's like, okay, you need to talk to a therapist about that. Um, and I want to encourage you in that process, but I've had clients that that has come up in our conversation and, it is still impacting the way that they are interacting in their marriage, the way that they're interacting um, in their business, you know? And and so it's like, we, we've moved the couch. Now we've got to deal with it. And sometimes that looks like going and talking to a therapist, someone who has experience with helping people through trauma and all that. Sometimes it looks like medication. Sometimes it looks like who knows, but healing to me has to be the only option. It has Mm -hmm. to be the only option. If we get too exhausted from, the you know, moving and searching and uncovering, um, then we we won't get to the next place, which is freedom that comes from that healing. Yeah. And that's what we need.
0: Yes. Yes. So much. Yes. Um, you know, I was it, a lot of what you talk about. And um, obviously, this is so front and center and everything you do is your your love of the Lord and your faith. Um, mm-hmm. you know, how do you let faith shape what you do? how do you, have you ever found that letting your faith and your heart for Jesus, you know, have you ever found that letting that guide your business gives you challenges? Did you ever hit roadblocks oh, yeah. because of that? Um, I'd love okay. for you to kind of talk about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, I totally, absolutely because the I'm writing a devotional. I do a lot of writing. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I love to um, write too. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah,
1: yes, we can we can write and it's good, it's therapeutic. Um and I'm writing a devotional about beauty and mm. um about what the world and the culture defines as beauty mm. and what true beauty is and often if you think of anything that is of God, there is a man-made distorted version of it. Yes. So you have, you know, God is uh, is love, and love is an action. Love is not, you know, touchy feely thing. And then there's a distorted. Version in our version in our culture, and so a lot of that is lust, and it's very sexualized, yeah. and it's very conditional, and it's yeah. very performance based, mm-hmm. and so um, everything has a uh, man-made distorted version. And so I think the same goes when you're thinking about a business and you're doing work that is of the Lord. There is going to be a counter version of it that is going to be extremely enticing because we live in a very real world. We can't turn on a TV. We can't watch a movie. We can't open a magazine. We can't go to a grocery store. We can't look at social media without being bombarded, bombarded with messages from the distorted version that oftentimes we don't recognize that we are either perpetuating or yes. even, um, subscribing to until we become aware, which is why getting quiet with God is so important. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the examples of this, a very, I think an example that pretty much anyone in terms of a business can relate to is success. What is success? Well, yeah. oftentimes in a, in the business world, even from like a tax standpoint, it's like, you got to make money, mm-hmm. you know, like, or it's not a business after for so long, it's a hobby. Yeah, And so people begin to let me make this six figure business or how to make seven figures in seven days. And, you know, it becomes this, this pursuit, the money becomes this the pursuit versus the purpose mm-hmm. and the calling. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with building a profitable profitable business. I think we need more people who want to do good in the world to have right. tons and tons of money because they're gonna go and spread that money and make lots of great things happen. Yeah. It's just that that can't be the pursuit of your work. That should be a byproduct of it. It should be a result. It should be uh, a good consequence that comes with it. And so, yes, I do see that doing faith work to be challenging at times because sometimes very much where I am now in my business, sometimes you will be called in a direction that does not make sense to you. You will be called in a direction that does not look like lots of money. Mm -hmm. And before you were making tons and you're like, wait a minute, God." What are you doing? Because yes. this over here was doing really good, and so that's my story right now. Because when I started my business, God told me very clearly. And for people who don't, you know, hear from hear from God, or they're like, "What does that girl talking about?" You just got to get to know him for yourself. Yeah. But He told me very clearly that my business as a brand strategist was going to set me up for the next thing. It was not a place for me to stay. It's kind of like the people, the children. Um, that were what is it uh, the israelites where they you know moving like don't get comfortable here like this is not your home but they like well back there we had bread and all that kind of stuff and telling us you know to go over here and we don't want this promised land anymore i <laughs> know <said> <laughs> yes know? they're wandering but, for 40 years and they're all lost exactly. <laughs> like at least we had something to eat you know so um but it's so but God told me that and so when I began transitioning God started closing some doors for me some profitable doors for me where I'm like man this this is not making sense like and I started like questioning myself and all these kinds of things and then when you start to say okay but who is this for who is this work onto. Like, is this for me? Is this about my pride? Is this about my, you know, ego or is this about serving the Lord? And that's one of the, I think, biggest challenges as an entrepreneur who is faith-based is constantly measuring up your motives, Mm -hmm. your strategies, your actions, all those things up to what God is desiring for you. Because you can go and make money doing pretty much anything legally, you know, (laughs) obviously you want it to be Yeah, but, you know, but, if, if money is the only thing that motivates you and drives you, then don't don't even take on the stress and burden and, and responsibility of being an entrepreneur, because it's like, just go make money, like, go, right. go get a job and like if, if that's what drives you to do everything you do. So um, I think that one of the what they're so so maybe like for some folks who are like, well, how do you do this practically? Like, how do you, you know, measure and check in like with the Lord? One of the things is fasting. Mm. Fasting is very much a part of how I run my business and how I hear from God on hard decisions and um, direction, uh, fasting, journaling, prayer, um, reading the word and just spending time in the word, spending time like praise and um, just lifting up the name of Jesus in song, um, connecting with other people who are also believers and are walking and out. It's also important. I have a few mm-hmm. of those folks who will encourage me to have you checked have you talked to God about that? You know, like that I'm not going to tell you what to do. What 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 do you hear the Lord telling you on that? Yeah. You know, so that is important. You can't surround yourself with people if you want to have a faith-based business, you can't surround yourself with people who who don't operate from that place because they can't speak to you in that place. Right. And they might be running these really profitable businesses, which is great, but if that's not where they're operating from, they cannot, they can't speak to that for you. Right. So, but that, so that was, that's what I, that's what I would say, um, to your question, my very long answer. No, I
0: love it. And I think that that, yeah, I, I connect with that and I relate with that on so many levels because it's a lot of what I've sort of been going through in the last few years and how, you know even just in the last couple months I've had to make some business decisions that and had to turn down some things that would have been really great money but Mm -hmm. they didn't align with my values they didn't align with my beliefs they don't align with what I do and you know it's just I had I have to say okay god like I'm saying no to this so that I can say yes to something else and that sometimes when you're looking at the day to day and you're looking at the bills and you're looking at, you know, I got two kids to feed. And one of them is like my son, he, uh, he turned a year in February. And it's funny because for the first 11 months of his life, he did he only nursed. He did not take oh. a bottle. He did not eat solid food. It was like this whole situation where even the pediatrician was like, "I think we need to send him to feeding therapy." And it was like what? a very stressful time. And now this kid, he cold turkey quit nursing at a year. <laughs> and then now he's eating us out of house and home. And I'm like, "I don't, oh, I don't oh, know. No. He eats more than my 3-year-old. It's <laughs> kind of crazy." And <laughs> but I mean, it's one of those things where now we have two kids who eat all the time um and so we see the grocery bills going up and you know all those types of things and and so I see mm-hmm. the bottom line but then I have to say nope you know what Th- like this is not what I was called to do this is mm-hmm. not what I'm meant to do and so but getting to that place where you
1: feel comfortable saying no is hard absolutely it is and what I have learned um and I'm this is a part of my book that I'm writing um is distractions. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to recognize distractions and distractions don't always have to be bad things. They don't have to be, you know, um, you know, talking bad about somebody or gambling or anything like that. Like they can be really wonderful things, but when you, which is why it's so important to know what you're called to do in the Mm -hmm. season of life that you're in, because we're going to be called to different things in different seasons of our lives. And so it's, that's why you have to constantly stay checked in and plugged in to your source, which is, is to me, it's it's God, like without being checked in and and plugged into my source, I won't know how, how to navigate the season of life that I'm in. And so I think that when it comes to distractions, I, for example, I know that I'm supposed to be working on my book. Mm -hmm. And if I were to be, to take on an opportunity that seems so great, so fitting, so aligned with my overall vision, but it would take away time and it would make writing the book almost impossible. Then then knowing how to measure that as, you know what, this is a great opportunity, but this is a distraction from what God is calling for me at this time. And I have to say no to that. And that's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. it's not something that I think most of us get excited about doing, because I think we also get get pride inter intermingled in with our our work. And when we are comparing ourselves to other people and what they seem to be doing that we we measure as success, yeah. we're like, well, how can I get there too? And I want to get here faster, and I want to get to this thing and get to like everything is such a rush. We're yeah. in such a Hurry to do everything, how to get this in 10 days, how to do this in 3D, like everything is so fast. And yes. God is not operating like that. Um, you know, and so I think just recognizing those distractions and having the courage um to say no to it is really important, which is why it's also important to have that accountability partner, whether it be a friend or you know, your spouse, or if you're working with a coach. Or a therapist, whoever may be, whoever can hold you to whatever you say you're going to do, that type of that type of person is necessary in life, period. No matter what you're doing, Mm -hmm. no matter what it is.
0: Yes, and it's funny you something you said kind of sparked in me a, a thought about how. You know, we, we talk. We we throw, over, especially in the entrepreneur world, and especially the faith-filled entrepreneur world, we hear these almost like Christianese terms, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. God's calling, and people say, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, well, what if I don't know it? What my calling is, or what do I, what do I, what if I don't know what God is calling me to do?" And I think sometimes, like you said, when people are focused on doing things fast and getting to the next thing fast or getting to the top of the corporate ladder fast or getting to the point where you're running the most successful X Mm -hmm. business fast. I think a lot of times what, and this is something I'm seeing in my own life too, is it's not necessarily about God's calling on our life. I mean, certainly it is at at a point, but sometimes it's what is God calling us to do right now? Right, and because a lot of times it's those things that God is calling us to do right now that are the mm-hmm. building block or the uh, the stepping stone to what God is will call us to do later. And exactly. so much of like when I think about my past and my story and my testimony, for on on paper it is weird. It doesn't make sense at times. A mm-hmm. lot of times. It's ugly. It's got a lot of blemishes, but every single thing that God put in my path, even when I was not following Him, even, right. even in a time where I, there was a time, a point in time where I was like, I don't want anything to do with those Christian people. I don't want anything right. to do with those church people. Ugh, yeah. they're a bunch of judgmental, negative Nancys who are no fun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, there was a time in my life where I, I. I turned away from the Lord in so many ways. And I see the work that God was doing in my life, even at that time, that has led me to where I am now. And I I would not be where I am now had it not been for those things.
1: Mm -hmm. And we have to remember, too, that we have a real enemy that wants to destroy, to kill, steal and destroy Mm -hmm. everything that is a reflection, representation or a a act towards, you know, moving the kingdom of God forward and building the kingdom of God. And, you know, there is a real force. And I think when we recognize that it allows for us to offer grace um, versus seeing them, like people are not our enemy. It's Mm -hmm. not people. It's not um you know this person who doesn't like me and cuz there cause there are plenty of people who have who don't like me especially when i started talking about race mm-hmm. when i started talking about race and i started talking about things like white privilege and ta- talking about racial reconciliation mm-hmm. oh my goodness that really ruffled some feathers mm-hmm. and i had to remind myself that it's not that person that is um the target, that's the enemy, you know, it is a system that's created that, um, allows for this oppression to continue and to perpetuate, but it's also sin. You know, it's also, um, what Jesus, you know, went to the cross for that. Unfortunately, many are still captive in bondage in some shape or form because none of us is without sin. So, um, I think that it, uh, when it comes to relationships, I try really, really hard to forgive fast, Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise I, otherwise I would be holding on to people's mistakes and and their, um, imperfections and it's going to weigh me down and it's going to keep me from being that light and that source and that, um, that vessel that's going to pour out that purpose and that, and the goodness of God. And so I also understand though that everyone's not going to be so forgiving. You know, yeah. I have friends who, or I have people in my life who decided that, you know, what it's easier to just not reconcile. Let's just leave things as they are. Yeah. And as hurtful as that is, for me, I also have to just let that process work its way out. And that's yeah. where I just, you know, leave that with yeah. God. Um, you know, but I just think we have to understand that we're not against each other. We're it's not you against me. Yeah. That's so important. So important.
0: And that actually leads me to another question I wanted to ask you about, Um, because one of the things that you do talk a a lot about and you're so passionate about is race and racial reconciliation. And this is also something I'm really passionate about. Um, Just I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and You know, I grew up in a school that was, I mean, my friends were black, (laughs) Vietnamese, Korean, Chinese, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. El Salvadorian. I mean, my friends looked, uh, did not look like me um, growing up. And it wasn't until I went to college that was the first time that I actually really experienced what it looked like to be in a classroom where you were surrounded mostly by people who looked like you. Yeah, And then when I moved to the South... And I mean, not that Virginia is not the South, but you know what I mean? There's a difference between Northern Virginia and living in Durham, North Carolina, um, where I was, you know, my view on race has just changed so much over the years and what racial reconciliation looks like and all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, just especially with you know, what our culture looks like and um, things that are going on in the news and the media and all that kind of stuff. This is um, this is something I, I love to have conversations about. Um, and I, I would love for you to kind of share your experience and why this is something that you are so passionate about and how it also is sort of integrated into your um, your professional life and your and your career and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, about seven, eight, nine years ago, I can't remember exactly, I was at church and I was prophesied over that I would, I actually was just reading some of the notes from the prophecy last night, um, but it was a prophecy that I would bridge the gap between white and black. Mm. And at the time, I don't remember what I felt like. I can't, I don't remember if I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to go change the world. I don't remember what I felt like when I left after hearing that um, prophecy. But during that prophecy, he also said that not now, too soon would not be good. And that was about, like I said, about seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, And so when last summer, when there was just so much in our face in Mm -hmm. terms of the news of a lot of the shootings of the unarmed black um, men, it just stirred something within me that hadn't really been stirred mm-hmm. to that intensity before. Yeah. Um, I've always been very much aware of what was happening um, and very much a advocate for unity. I've, that's that's just been a, who I am. It's, it's always been like how I live my life, but I was yeah. never so vocal yeah. about it um, until then. And um, being a black woman, having a black husband, a black father, a black son, um, being a mother to a black son and and seeing your son and those boys mm-hmm. and those young boys that were murdered, um, seeing them when you can see yourself and someone who is being treated unjustly mm-hmm. and you not be moved, then I want to question what's hurting, what, what, what has hardened your heart. Yeah. Um, if you, if you are not moved by the injustice of, people who you can literally see yourself in like it's one thing to be moved by people who you don't necessarily see yourself in but you just see it as a terrible situation and you want to be a part of making things better and i think that's great and i think that's a part of just you know how we we make sure we're we're being the hands and feet of jesus which is it's important yeah um But if you can't even be moved by that, like what in the world? So I think that's why you have a lot of um, minorities and, you know, men and women of color who are so behind this because we literally see ourselves in that. If not, we are also recipients of it in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is also why it's so hard for non people of color to take a hold of this because they all, because they feel unaffected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is why it requires to have a greater level of compassion in order to do that. Right. And I'll get to that later. Like, how do you get to that piece of place of compassion? Yeah. But that's, that to me, is why, um, I see myself. I see my son. I see, I see that so much as a reality. So it's part of it is selfish because, um, it's a self preservation, you know, like there, if, if I don't see how it is affecting me, why should I do something about it? Which a lot of people are in that place. And so I see how it affects me. I see how it affects my community. I see how it affects, um, the, the future generations and I want to do something about it. Um, and I don't think it's selfish necessarily in a negative way. I just think that it is part of it is, you know, you see yourself and you want to do something about it. But I think that when it comes to issues of race, um, it's again, not me against you. It is recognizing that there is a system that was built and created by people who were only trying to preserve and protect um, people who look like them. And in that t- in that in that time, it was, mostly just white men. It wasn't even women that were necessarily Mm -hmm. included in that, you know, women's rights is a whole nother thing, but you know, white privilege is intergrained and is in that system. And so if we want to, um, dismantle that, we have to first recognize that that system exists. And I think what happens For a lot of people, especially, you know, white men and women, when they hear white privilege, a lot of times they get defensive because they think that you're personally attacking them. Oh, I've worked for everything that I have or I'm or especially like someone who's maybe poor. um, But you have to understand that you may not have created that system, but you benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't recognize that you benefit from a system, then it's going to be even harder for you to want to be a part of this mantle that system. And so when we recognize that, okay, there is a system that is set up to my advantage, and I'm benefiting from that system, whether I'm willingly interacting with that system or not, okay, you're I get it. Now what? Um, what do I do now? And so mm-hmm. I think part of my work is to give people really practical ways to live out racial reconciliation without necessarily having to march on Washington, um, because you—that's not the only way for us to make change a reality. Part of it is starting with yourself, challenging your own inner biases that you have against certain people of different colors um, and different ethnic backgrounds. Also, looking around your your circle, how many people in your circle? Look different than you than mm-hmm. you. It's going to be really hard to have compassion, which what I was saying I will get to later. It is really hard to have compassion for someone that for something or for someone that you cannot relate or connect to. It's, it's yeah. almost impossible to have it have compassion like that. And so when you have people who are really, really riled up about animal rights and all of that. Well, it's probably because they have animals, they care about animals and they and they think that, that they, they they benefit from, you know, the love that animals give you that's unconditional and so they wanna do something about it. Okay, that makes sense. But I don't have any animals. I don't really like pets that much. <laughs> I don't and I don't think that they should be treated poorly. But I'm probably not gonna go like volunteer for a march to save like puppies, like because that's not something that I can connect to. However, right. if I had a dog and I loved, and I had a bunch of friends who had animals, I probably would want to be a part of something like that. And so that's why it's really important for us to build relationships with people who are not like us and who have these different experiences, because then we can start to have a connection. We can start having a connection to the pain that they experience, And then we can have compassion for them. Mm -hmm. My, like, you know, I have a family, have family who are, um, you know, lesbian and gay and all that. Had, had I not have people in my life, my sister is a lesbian, would I be so concerned and so passionate about making sure that everyone has equal rights regardless of their sexual orientation? I don't know. Probably not. If there wasn't someone close enough to me that I love and care for that had the pain that is not necessarily directly to me, but has a pain that I can connect to because I care about that person. So when the shooting happened, I think in Florida, I'm like, oh my goodness, that could have been my sister. And then you you care when you can see, it's either you can literally see yourself or you can see someone you care about. And so we have to open up our our spectrum a little bit and begin to invite people into our world who are not like us so that we can start to care about what they care about and hurt about what they're hurting about. Mm -hmm. And that's how we get there. And so it's very much a personal place. And then from a business standpoint, and I wrote, I've written articles about this, From a business standpoint, if you are an event host and you're only bringing white speakers or black speakers or whatever, like if they're all just from one background, per se, in terms of race, Mm -hmm. that is not okay. Mm -hmm. That is not acceptable. And there is absolutely no reason why you can explain to me why that is still happening. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. There's no reason why. But yet we still see plenty of conferences, plenty of events in the creative space that they're incredibly whitewashed. Mm -hmm. And so you, and then they wonder, well, why aren't people of color wanting to be a part of my, my events and such? Well, because we don't feel like we're going to be invited Mm -hmm. and that there's a part there. So you have to bring that in, you know, your team. And I mean, there's just, there's so many things that you can do from a practical standpoint, instead of being on the sidelines and being defensive and, and feeling attacked. You know, but I could talk about this forever.
0: Oh, yeah. I know. And I love so much of what you say. Um, and there are so many times where, like, you're like, like, praise hands. My praise hands are going up. I'm like, yes, yes. I, because I, I could not agree more. And I love, um, when you said just when you talked about pra- like looking at practical ways to live out racial reconciliation and, and who are the type of people that you're surrounding yourself with and what are the friendships that you're trying to build and who are the people in your circle of influence? Um, it's my our church actually just last month did an awesome sermon series called Grace, but it was mm-hmm. a little G with a capital R. And it was a whole That's sermon right. series on race in the church mm-hmm. and um and talking about racial racial reconciliation from a biblical perspective. And it was such a powerful series because we I, I feel very blessed to go to the church that I do because our church is very unique in that it it is one of the most diverse churches in the country. Um it's wow. certainly the most diverse church in our area. I mean, when I Every Sunday I sit next to somebody who does not look like me. And it's, I mean, it's not just black, white. I'm talking, we're talking black, white, Asian, Middle Eastern. I mean, like Native American. I mean, just, we have such a, a unique, diverse church and, and, it's funny because our our pastor so he grew up he's a like a southern boy from Sumter South Carolina you know and he mm. grew up in in a time and in an area of the country that was very racially driven um, a lot of racism around him and and he you know part of his testimony he talks about is he really feels like God has called it on his life for for him to be sort of that bridge like you were saying um Where you received that prophecy of you were going to be a bridge between black and white. And he has sort of felt this very strong calling, especially as our church has grown and and we've gotten to be more diverse where he sees that it's his role as a white man to be that bridge of racial reconciliation Mm -hmm. from his side. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's been a really just really powerful thing to see and really powerful powerful thing to watch. And he even it's it's amazing in the first sermon that he did, I mean he started out where he just said, look, this is a sermon series where some of you might feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And but the the fact of the matter is is like I really feel very strongly that racism is America's original sin. Oh, right. And, and the yeah. sooner that he that we say that we identify that it is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem.
1: It's a sin problem.
0: That's the sooner we can get we can move forward and it was and he even said and he said and and for those of you who are of color he said you've probably never had a white man say this to you before and he said I'm sorry and he just and it it took that moment of just sort of the quiet of the room and and just acknowledging like this is a place where we all realize that we like you said earlier like it's not you versus me it's it's we are all fighting a common enemy and mm-hmm. and the devil just wants to get in there and he wants to mm-hmm. to steal. Like you said, he just wants to steal, kill and destroy. And so the, the sooner that we can rebuke that and be like, no, like, we all exactly. we all bleed the same blood. <laughs> we all, it's
1: so, it's so yeah. like if you think about it, like I don't like you because your skin is a certain color. Like if you I mean, it's so, like try to explain that to a kid. Yeah. You know, like they're they're so confused. Like it right. just makes Right. No. Oh, I can see not liking someone because they say mean things or they hit me or right. they, you know, they steal. Like, okay, that's a character thing. But like something that you're literally born with. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't like you because your hair is brown. What? Right. Like, it's so it's crazy. It's, it's it's so ridiculous, but unfortunately, it is so ingrained mm-hmm. um in our Culture to separate ourselves and to put ourselves into categories, and again, the me against you is so it is is the easiest way for the enemy to create destruction, division, and to keep us from focusing on what we really need to be doing, which is yeah. building community with one another and being a part of spreading the gospel. Yes, you know that's that's what we need to be doing. But when we talk about race. And I know when I, in the past I've had conversations about race that people get so upset, mm. um, and you know friendships are 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 you know strained and and, and broken, and it's like I, I can't make you see something that's there. You have to you know that's where you have to trust that God will will work in them because that's why I don't think you can do this work outside of God because this is a heart issue. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be able to change the hearts of man in order to love people and to accept people. Mm-hmm. It's not a law, it's not a legal thing because it's, now it's illegal to not hire someone because they're black or right. white. Like it's illegal to do that now, right? Whereas before there were laws that actually allow for that to be the case. Right. So the laws have changed, but the hearts have not. Mm-hmm. Only God can do that. Only yes. God can come in and change a heart. Yes. And that's why it requires... From it, ha- it has to be the church that's leading the way of yeah. how to do this. We ha- we have to step up as a church to show, okay, this is what love looked like. This is what love does. This is how love overcomes and conquers yeah. the power of sin. And this is how we do this. It's yeah. the only way. There's no other way. Yes.
0: I mean, and it was even, that was one of the reasons that um, our church decided to do this series because he even talked about, um, our pastor even talked about how you know Martin Luther King himself one of his famous quotes is the 11 or the, you know, 11 o'clock on Sunday, is still the most segregated, mm-hmm. segregated hour of the week. And yeah. in a lot of ways that still hasn't changed.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so
0: how do we as the church, you know, when we're sitting here trying to, you know, say, oh, racial reconciliation, love everybody. Yet our churches are still so segregated. How do we change that? Mm-hmm. Um And it's not, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so it's just a very, it's a conversation I think is so important to have. Um, It's a conversation I feel so passionate about having. Um, And I just, I appreciate you being so, um, just so honest and so heartfelt um, and just clearly so purpose-driven in the conversations that you have and just, and understanding that, we're going to let's talk about these things that are hard to talk about. Let's talk about these things that sometimes make That's people stupid. feel uncomfortable because like, like we were talking about earlier, like if you don't move the couch and get right. the dust out, it's never going to fix itself. And never. this in a lot of ways is our country's dusty part of our couch. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you That's know? exactly what it is. And now we got to have the professionals come in and do a deep clean Yeah, because it has yes. been moving so long. And I think a lot of people who are in positions Like you and myself, where we have, you know, we're building these platforms and all this kind of stuff. And some people who are in even bigger positions are afraid to talk about this because they're afraid of losing their place in the market. They're, pl- they're afraid of losing their platform. And I think you have to get to a place where you are afraid to lose nothing. Right. Because you recognize that it's not yours in the pl- first place. Right. It's not you that put yourself there. And it's not going to be you that's going to remove yourself. But it's, it's simply nobody can put you or stop you or place you in a place that God does not allow. And I think that if we understand that what we're building is for him and not for us, we won't be afraid of losing it. Yeah. Cause it's not ours in the first place. You right. have to get to that place. Where you're not afraid of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that fear holds a lot of people captive and it keeps their hand over their mouth because they are afraid, oh, I'm going to offend someone or well, my audience isn't going to like that or I don't want to be political. Race is not a political thing. Right. Human rights is not political. It is it's humanity. Yes. That shouldn't even, that's not a political, it's not a Republican versus Democrat or whatever. It is, it's a human, human race, human rights. That's not political. Right. If you don't want to talk about abortion, that's fine. But my goodness, if you don't want to be a part of bringing us together in and, and the simplest form, then I don't really know what community you're trying to build. So many people in these places, in these platforms are talking about community and building community, which I think is great. But are they really about building real community? Because real community is a community where people do not look alike. They don't share the same beliefs, but they are accepted. They're embraced. And they are invited to be a part of it and they can work together. That's what real community is. Unfortunately, we don't have a true example of that because sin is what divides us and separates us. And only the love of God can change our hearts and move us together in that direction.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. So much yes. Um, man, Monique, I could literally sit here and talk to you all day. <laughs> There's so oh many no. things. I just love, I love talking with you. I wish we lived closer together because I just feel like oh we no. would hang out all the time and our, our kids would hang out and it would be really fun. Yeah,
1: that would be so good. <laughs> we'll come back to the D.C. area. And I know. We'll, and we'll focus- I would love that. I would love
0: that. Um, So as we just kind of wrap up here, um, I will. and for those listening, I will make sure to have all of um, the links to uh, follow Monique on social media and her website and links to her book and all of that in the show notes. So you can be sure to check that out. Um, But here as we kind of wrap up, I would love for you, one of the things that you said um, that I'd love for you to just kind of leave as almost sort of that nugget of wisdom is you talked about... um, you know, how, how we get to that place of compassion and how, how, what are some other practical ways we can live out, you know, reconciliation in, in race and, and in our relationships in general? Um, what is something that's sort of, you know, just a nugget of wisdom that you would sort of leave to people listening um, when they're thinking about, you know, how is this something that I can not only apply in my life, but also in my business? What is, what is something that you say to people when they ask that question?
1: Sure. I would say that compassion is a learned skill. Mm -hmm. It is something that is practiced and it is something that needs to be nurtured. We can never get comfortable in in a place where, Oh, I've reached compassion. Now I'm done. It's kind of like eating healthy. Oh, I ate a salad today. I'm healthy for the rest of my life. It's an ongoing practice that is learned. And so we need to make sure that we first go to the educator, the first truest example of compassion to learn what it actually is. And that's God, Yes, God gave his only son for us, like literally died for you. I don't know anybody who's ever died for me Mm -hmm. other than Jesus or, and I'm sure there are people now there are people who've given their lives for our country and, and all those things. And we honor them. Um, And I think that it's important that we go to the source to learn what compassion looks like. And then we can say, all right, I understand that compassion is, you know, letting go of the, the, the restrictions that we place on other people and the mandates and the requirements that we place on them. Like the law was broken with Jesus. There was no more, you must be this, you must be that, you must be this, you must do that. It's like, there's no more, This person has to look this way and they have to believe this and they have to make this much money in order for me to like them, in order for me to care about them, in order for me to see them as a human being. It's a letting go of the mandates and the restrictions and the laws of um love for people like there's there's no conditions on it and so when we let that go we have to then begin to work to invite people into our space so we can build relationship with them Jesus came and built relationships yeah. he sat and broke bread with people he went and washed feet he yeah. went and and talked and and fed and he did so much right in the in the midst of community and the connection and so we cannot build compassion without connecting and building and relationships with other people outside of our four walls and outside of our family and such. And so I think that in order to really be a compassionate person is something that we have to commit to daily. And we have to deny our flesh because flesh is going to say, me, me, me. Flesh is going to say, well, what is in it for me? Flesh is going to say, well, they hurt me. So I got to hurt them. Flesh is going to protect flesh. That's what flesh does. That's what our yeah. body is. Cre- our body will heal itself. And literally what you scratch yourself, it's going to heal, heal itself, unless it's a really bad scratch. So you have to deny it daily. And how do you do that That is something that you have to go to Jesus and c- uh, cry out and pray and ask God to help you to see people, how, how he sees them, because he is the, Originator mm-hmm. of compassion. Mm-hmm. He is the originator of compassion. So, God, help me to see them how you see them. I have prayed that prayer for my children when I'm so irritated by them, or my husband <laughs> when I just, I, you know, like, God, mm-hmm. help me to love them how you have called me to love them. You literally have to pray that prayer mm-hmm. and ask God to take over that fleshly desire that wants to do something that was going to tear you and that person down and allow God to move in the Holy Spirit to operate in you. Once you do that, you begin to practice that and you begin to open up opportunities in your business to create those relationships with different people, reach out to people, connect with people. And that is how it happens. And the more we do that, the more we're going to grow in our compassion. Next thing you know, Everything that's happening in the world, we're going to want to be on our knees praying about Mm -hmm. it. We're going to want to do something about it. We're not going to just sit back and be so just nonchalant about things and so desensitized Mm -hmm. by the hurts and the struggles of the people around us. And, And so that's a long answer to that but to sum it all up it really is about going to the originator of compassion asking him to help you to see people how he sees them
0: amen 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 that is a great place uh i think that's a great place to stop because i just think that that is (laughs) so oh my goodness thank you so much monique for sharing your heart and sharing your story and just for using your platform for so many great things that you that god has called you to do thank you so much
1: amen thank you so much thank you.
0: Oh my goodness, you guys. There were so many points in that conversation where I just wanted to run outside and just go, yes, y'all need to hear this. I mean, just, I absolutely adore Monique. Every time she opens her mouth, it's like everything that comes out is just profound and intelligent and wise beyond her years. She is amazing. I cannot thank her enough for taking the time to be on the show this week. And thank you guys so much for listening. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We have over 40 episodes in the archives that you can go back and listen to. So many amazing entrepreneurs that are just truly changing the world through their businesses and through their lives. If you would take a moment to subscribe to us on iTunes and to leave us a review. Leaving us a review really, really helps us to grow the show and also lets me know what you liked, what you don't like, what you wanna see more of. Please give us that feedback uh, and also be sure to interact with us on Instagram. My Instagram account is at still being Molly. You can let me know what you liked this week and be sure to give Monique some love as well. Her Instagram handle is at Mo motivate, but I will have all her links in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.